Welcome to Walter Edgar's Journal. With me in the Scanner Studio today are Anita Singleton Prather, known to many of you over the years as Aunt Pearly Sue, and Ron Small, who is producer and co-writer of a television program, Circle Unbroken, A Gullah Journey from Africa to America, and it features Anita Singleton Prather. So both of you, welcome to the journal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anita, it has been about 10 years since we had you on the program, and that was a wonder. In our old studio. Mm-hmm. Um, Y'all have fancied up since the last time I've been here. We've Yes, we have fancied up. Thanks to our listeners, this studio was paid for by private contributions from folks in South Carolina. They wanted public radio to stay on the air and stay on the air with a little bit of style. All right. Well, they've done you good, boy. They've done you good. Well, thank you. And... Tell me about the genesis of this television special, which is aired internationally, I understand, Ron. Well, we, we, uh, we have an international distributor that's already picked it up. It will be seen all over the world. It's really quite a wonderful story, and it all started, uh, I guess, in Beaufort, where you live, or Charleston, where yeah. I live. We started it. Uh, this was a stage play that I had written uh, for my group, Aunt Pearly Sue and the Color Kinfolk, and... Um, Ron had we had talked about doing another project. Uh, we'd been doing things off and on for mm, almost twenty years. Twenty years now, and so um, I think it started out we were going to just do it as a concert out at Middleton Place. That's right. It was a it was going to be just a live event. My partners and I at the Anchor Media Group were looking for something that was really going to help us get into this this Gullah world that we've been playing in for quite some time. It just as a background, our first project ever, Anita and myself, was a show called Tales from the Land of Gullah, which we produced almost 20 years ago, mm-hmm. starring Anita. When I, I didn't know who she was, she came into my office in Charleston and said she wanted to do this show about the stories that her grandmother used to tell that came over on the slave ships. And I'm thinking, what's Beaufort and what's Gullah? Those are my two questions. <laughs> and now many years later, we think we produced the quintessential Gullah story, uh, in Circle and Broken, but it, it's a, it started as a live concert. We were going to do a Middleton place, and Charlie and Tracy out there, great folks. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've interviewed them before, and it's an amazing facility. And the more we got into it, the more we started realizing it in this business, everything metamorphosizes. Well, what if we had this, and what if we had that? And, and we were on the phone one day, and I said, would you have a problem if we move this to Beaufort? And her immediate response was, not me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so then it became this, let's shoot these musical numbers in historic portions of Beaufort, but then we needed narrative, and we started adding stuff, and it just kept growing and growing. And mm-hmm. there, there's much more to the story that it actually includes the, the tragedy at Mother Emanuel. Uh, that got us to where we are right now, with the, which is the program that uh, you have seen on television. Well, I'm going to start to laugh. My friend Larry Rowland, I know, is going to laugh because when I say South Carolina is the center of the universe, he says Beaufort is the center of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. You know, he was my professor. No, I didn't. My know. freshman year in college at USCB. And it's because of him. He's one of the reasons, one of my inspirations for, I've always loved history, and I was supposed to go to law school and um, got kind of sidetracked from law school. But my freshman year with Dr. Rowland. Was it your grades? Um, <laughs> hush, Ron. <Sorry. laughs> he just works my nerves. I just want the uh, listeners to know he's my assignment from above. <laughs> from above? From above. You know, okay. Hallelujah, Lord. I'm doing the best I can. But... Uh, Dr. Rowland was uh, my professor my freshman year, and I was I was just mesmerized when I would be in his class, and he'd have no notes, and that history would just roll over his, you know, off of his head, the top of his head, and you couldn't hardly write fast enough. And um, and then we soon found out that we were connected also because, you know, he his family owned used to own title home mm-hmm. in Beaufort. And my grand-aunt was the chef there for years, so he grew up with two of my cousins who were um, two of the founding members of the Gullah Kinfolk Singers, Jackie and Johnny Singleton. And so, um, you know, we just always had, we made that connection that first year there at USCB. And and I think one of the, the great things about Larry and those of us who have taught, I say, real South Carolina history is... Uh, your folks were part of that history from the beginning. From the beginning. And he was one of the persons that never left that part out mm-hmm. because a lot of people would leave it out, but he didn't. And um, even as I did, uh, I, you know, I would do research 
on the gullapod of things. You know, I'd get on the phone and I'd call Dr. Ron and I'd say, have you ever heard about this? And he said, no. And so he'd go research it. And so we always kind of shared notes. And um, if I had a question about something, he was one of those persons I could go to and know that I would get some good information, not some bogus stuff, but good information. Well, he's a great South Carolina treasure. Yes, he is. Yes, and, he is. He and Dr. Wise, Stephen Wise oh, oh, as well. Oh, oh yeah. And I'm actually going to have them on the show later on in, in the spring because wow. the last two mm-hmm. volumes of the Beaufort County History have come out. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. South Carolina is only one volume. Beaufort County History is three. <laughs> 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 okay, Ron, let's, you know, we always talk about who are you and where are you from. Well, let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got to Charleston. It never was on my radar screen, Charleston, South Carolina. I had never been here. I had lived everywhere else. I, uh, I was very fortunate. I traveled a lot before I got married. I lived in lots of cities. I lived overseas. So I had, and that's part of the business. And I wound up in uh, Orlando, a city with all due respect that I hated like the plague. And uh, every millisecond of my existence was horrifying. Uh, the impetus to leave, the Orlando Sentinel did a reader's poll for the best Italian food in Orlando. Who do you think won? The Olive Garden. I said, that's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> and I had friends that I knew from New Orleans who were from Charleston and Columbia, respectively. And I used to come up and visit them. And I'd come up here and look around. And go, wow, what a great city this is. You know, Charleston is on the rise and New Orleans is on the, and Orlando. Blah, blah. Finally, they asked me one day, when are you going to move up here? And I said, well, you know, I, I guess I could. As long as I have a fax machine and a phone, I can do my business anywhere I want to. So to shorten the story, I moved up over a holiday and I've never looked back. That was 1997. Wow. And soon after that, I was renting space from somebody in Charleston who said, there's some people that want to meet you and talk about doing a show about Gullah. Gullah? What, what's Gullah? I, I really, I had no knowledge of any of this. And one day, there she is in the office. And it's a story I really can't tell on the air. But let's just say <laughs> uh, many scowls and angry looks were waiting for me when I walked into the office. And uh, and the, the true. St- I, I didn't see. I didn't see. Oh yeah, I, she I had. Well, see. I'll tell you, she had her arms crossed and she's <laughs> scowling at me like I'm about to sprout a second head. And she tells me what she wants. I want to do this show, and I'm listening to it. Okay, and I'm making a judgment call. Well, this is never going to happen because the show she is describing is obviously going to be very expensive. And uh, I, I I make. No bones about it. I was real honest. And I said, I'll, I'm going to give them the, the information. I'll talk them through all this. And about a week later, I think I gave you a budget. Never expected to hear from you again. A week after that, she called me back. She says, uh, all right, we're going forward on the project. And I stared at my phone because I lived in L.A. for four years where people lied to my face all the time. Now this woman from Buford is going to come up with this money to make this show. I'm going to let her tell you how she came up with the money because it's an amazing story which endeared me to her for life. But we produced... Uh, the show is called Tales from the Land of Gullah. We built a set on the stage at Battery Creek High School, uh, a Hollywood-esque. It was phenomenal. And you, in fact, you walked into the auditorium, auditorium and started crying, I mean, because mm-hmm. you couldn't believe it was for you. We brought in uh, Academy Award-winning directors and lighting directors. I mean, we had a phenomenal cast and crew. But we still didn't know if she could do it. I didn't know her very well. And yet... On the day, it, I think it took us about a week to shoot. Mm-hmm. Masterful. I knew she was a natural talent at that point. And, and she could change. She and Clark, the director, would change a scene, and she'd go right up and do it. And we, we're talking about lots of people and lots of equipment, and the clock is running. I've never seen anything quite like it. It was phenomenal. And uh, that's where we are today. All right. Well, Anita, let's talk about how you shocked this Hollywood mogul and <laughs> well, you know you know I always tell Ron you know um you know before I'm not pearly so anything I'm a minister and and you know and and I talk you know I would tell him all the time you know I walk by faith and not by sight and, and he's a producer so he's very detailed you know writing stuff down I said okay you know, you write the vision, I'll tell you what the vision is. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know that about her. <laughs> and so, um, so, you know, I had, uh, you know, I'd been with another group that I had co-founded uh, for 10 years. And when God told me it was time for me to leave, then, you know, I didn't look back. And, um, and I had, um, the other producer from the other group had asked me what I'd produce, uh, well, at that time, I guess, a cassette of um of my Gullah stories. And when I saw the uh contract, I said, Mm mm, this ain't working for me. 
<laughs> I'm not going back on the plantation, not like that anyway. <laughs> so, and so anyway, I, I saw a friend of mine, an attorney, um, Ned Tupper in Buford, and he was riding a bicycle. And uh, my church was right around the corner from where he lived. And I said, Ned, I want you to look at this contract. And he looked at it. He said, Anita, you know, I'm not an entertainment attorney, but I can tell you this. It's going to tie you up. I said, well, that's what I needed to hear. He said, well, I have a friend in Charleston that says he's an entertainment attorney, and I'd like to introduce him to you. Do you mind if I send him a copy of the contract? I said, sure. So he did. And uh, the attorney got in contact with me and so went up there and I met him and Ron was renting office space there. And so when I told the attorney that, um, you know, this is what I wanted to do, blah, blah, blah. This is what I want. Tell me how we're going to do it. <laughs> so that he'd write it wrong. And of course, I don't, like I said, I don't remember me, you know, looking at the way he was describing me. I could paint the picture but if I knew any, how to Anywho, like Walter. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I basically told him the same spiel that, you know, this is what I wanted. Um, I didn't want to just do a cassette, but I actually wanted to do a video of my Gullah stories. And Tell this, me how we're going to do it. And this was as Aunt Pearly Sue. Right? As Aunt Pearly Sue. And, um, Actually, multiple characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I played about five different characters mm -hmm. in it. I even played my grandmother talking to, to me. Oh. <laughs> so, the split screen. Uh -huh. And um, he said, well, I'll get back with you in a week with a proposal. And he did. And um, he said he needed 50000 And I asked him, is that all you need? <laughs> that was, it was more than it was six figures. Yeah, because it was, remember. right. And by the time we finished, it was more than that. And I said, well, is that all you need? <laughs> <laughs> now, mind you, I didn't have five cents, but I had a lot of faith. <laughs> and he said, yeah. I said, okay. So I went and I sat down with my family. My mother was one of my biggest supporters. And, and my family, my siblings as well. And I was... Um, I had my daughter, uh, one biological daughter, and I had two adopted children at the time. And so it was, you know, being a single parent. And, and I, by this time, I had left the school system because I used to teach full time. And so all of my, you know, investment monies and everything had been going into my business. And um, and I said, uh, this is what I want to do. And so when I talked to my mom and, and my siblings, everybody put in, you know, my mother cashed in some of her annuity because she was a retired teacher. And. My siblings, you know, donated what they had, and um, I had a close friend, um, Alberta Duncan. She's now deceased, but um, you know, they all pitched in, and it was, you know, and that's that's what we did. And then finally, um, I mortgaged my house um, because my house was paid for, and because um, my husband had died by this time, and the house was paid for. But now, now I had a mortgage. <laughs> no, um, we had the. Pro that's how we got the project finished, and. I mean, I, I was just totally blown away because I knew what I was expecting. But Ron, and I don't want him to hear this because I don't want him to get the big head and can't get out of his door, but he's the type of person that goes way beyond what you ask for. And, um, I mean, even the people he brought in, you know, Clark Santee, one of the top-notch uh, directors in the world, so gentle and very humble, you know, came in and worked with us. And, um, you know, just, you know, never made us feel like we were less than because we weren't from Hollywood or we weren't trained actors or whatever. But um, we just made it happen. And I can remember when we were in the middle of filming because we were planning on filming the Tales from the Land of Gull and then we were going to do a children's version as well. And we didn't think we were going to be able to do it. And I went to bed that night and... <laughs> I got up about four thirty. God woke me up, and he and he taught, and he had me to start writing. And I watched the clock until seven o'clock because I wanted to call Ron and those at four thirty morning. When God woke me up, I wanted to wake them up, but I said, "Well, I won't do that." And so as soon as seven o'clock hit, I called Ron and 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 um and clock and told them the vision for the children's show. And we were able to knock that out what in a couple of hours. Yeah, or something. yeah, remarkable. So we ended up doing two videos. And that, that that week's time, and they still sell to this mm -hmm. day. They're still they're timeless. They're still popular mm -hmm. and still uh, amazing to watch. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the genesis of how you got together. But let's talk about Circle Unbroken. Where did that? You know, clearly, a Gullah journey from Africa to America. But Anita was 
yours or Ron's that it was joint or? Well, like I said, it started out as a, a stage play that I wrote for my group. And then, like I said, when we talked about doing, you know, Ron approached us about doing the um, concert, and, and then he and I started talking, and then before you know it, it just started snowballing. The show, you know, we every time we do a project, it's how do we take this Gullah concept a step further? And we're still not done yet. I'm sure the next project is going to take us to Sierra Leone and Bunce Island and somehow making the trip back. But uh, we delved into the archival world and, uh, again, take this with a grain of salt. I'm the producer of the show, but it's a feast for the eyes. It's a feast for the ears. Amazing, authentic goal of spiritual music, which was very important, which I listen to, I'm not kidding you, every single day. There's not some part of our CDs that I don't pop in my car and listen. My 11- and 7-year-old will get in the car. Dad, put on that Gullah CD with Aunt Nita. Uh, and put on, a, and they know their favorite songs, and they'll sing along with them. So that's what, what it's like in our house. So when we did this, it was all the best elements of how do we teach this culture. And, and a lot of it had to do, quite frankly, with the realization that it's so vast and touches so many people, and yet so few people know about it. And one of the mistakes I made in the earlier version of this, excuse me, is that I just assumed everybody knew what Gullah was. Much to my chagrin, most people don't. So, and now the show begins with, I'm Anita Singleton Prather, and I'm a Gullah gal. What is Gullah, you may ask? And we put a definition right at the beginning. And, she, and she's standing right there on High Battery in Charleston, right. which, which is an incredible location to begin mm-hmm. with. But every... Speaker, entertainer looks for the hook, and she's the hook. I mean, that that opening line, I was going to watch the whole thing anyway, but I didn't have I didn't have to be enticed. It, but, I mean, she was she was there. But you know what else? Something you said already about South Carolina being the center of the universe. The the fact is, South Carolina really is, in many respects, if you look at global history, and we paint that picture in the show. It's unbelievably important to so many parts. And as you say, you, you know, you tell it better than I. If, if it weren't for... If it wasn't for Gullah history, we wouldn't have South Carolina history. Well, that's... And if not South Carolina history, then you don't have American history. It's not complete. And if American history is not complete, then world history mm-hmm. is not complete. And earlier, Nita, you mentioned that uh, Larry Rowland did include mm-hmm. the story of Gullah and the Gullah folk in his history, and I did in my history. But one reason some people... Don't know about it and don't talk about it if they're uncomfortable about right. talking about it because you're dealing with the question of slavery. Very painful. But, you know, and, and, and what I tell, um, especially when I say my people, African-American people, if we don't tell the story, if we, if we don't tell the story, then our kids miss out on the strength of a people. You know, a lot of times we don't tell it because it's so hurtful and so painful. But kids have to know how did we get from the Middle Passage voyage and the belly of a slave ship to the fields to now being president of the United States. There was a lot of things that went on in between that. And when you focus on the pain, yes, it was painful, but we continued. We didn't give up. And what I'm seeing now is a generation of young people that just want to give up. We are having too many suicides, too many homicides, too many uh, kids out there don't know who they are. So any old crazy thing that comes on television, we follow that or we follow this. And that's just like a tree twig. If, If a twig is out there and the wind blows, it just bounces wherever it wants to go. But when, when it's still connected to the root, and even though the storms may come and it may bend, it's still grounded. Mm-hmm. And so I see a generation of young people that's not grounded because we've failed to tell the story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. See, that's what history is, and that's one thing that has concerned me about trends and particularly higher education is if somebody, I don't want to hear something that makes me uncomfortable. Well, that is who who we are. And that's part of the healing process. If, if we, that's just like somebody having cancer and you see it there, but you, you, you try to ignore it. You try to pretend like it's not there. And it doesn't mean that the cancer is going to go away, but it's not until you address the problem and see the issue, and then we can start seeing how to treat it. And so that's what we have to do. We can't keep a denying that racism exists. It exists on both sides. And I that's one of the things 
in this whole process, this journey for me over the past 30 plus years or so, let me back up a little bit. We were one of the first black families to integrate the schools in Beaufort. In fact, the University of South Carolina, that, that used to be the old Beaufort Elementary School, I integrated that at third grade. One of the things my mother kept saying to us was that you have to do twice as much. You have to do twice as much. And so when I got there, I knew I couldn't do, if, if, if the other kids did 10 problems, then I knew I was going to do 12. And so um, the first time I got sent to the office, uh, the teacher asked a question, and she asked every white child in there. And she ref- it was only four blacks, and then my hand was up the whole time because I knew the answer. And she, when I finally realized she wasn't going to call on me, I just blurted the answer out. And she said, you little black Negro girl, go to the office. But here, 20, 30 years later, that same teacher tells me when she runs, when I run into her at the grocery store, how proud she is of what I'm doing, that she's been following me throughout my career as Aunt Pearly Sue, and that she clips everything out of the newspaper. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So through it all, this has brought healing. And and how do you allow people to say I'm sorry? People say I'm sorry in different different mm-hmm. ways. And we've all been oppressed mm-hmm. and we've all all been the oppressor. And through this this doing the research through Gullah and slavery and you know, Jim Crow and the civil rights movement, all of that, I've learned that in order for me to victimize you, I too become a victim. If I try to hold you down in that chair, it's going to take a lot of energy out of me. So we're all in this together. And if there's anything we can do to bring some understanding, to bring some peace, to bring some reconciliation, then that's what my purpose is. Well, one of the interesting things, having taught for 40 years and speaking to lots of folks, is to talk about the shared traditions Mm -hmm. and shared culture. Uh, one of the things that Charles Joyner first explored in his Down by the Riverside. And it would be amazing to me in an adult audience to see persons of color uncomfortable with talking about how maybe some of European culture had shaped present day. Mm-hmm. And the other the other way is that white folks trying to figure out, well, do I really want to say that black folks affected me in it? The first thing I'd say is, if you shag, mm-hmm. black music has affected your life. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. So, but children got it because you know South Carolina history is taught in the, in the third mm-hmm. grade, and I go talk to them, and I can remember a couple of schools. You just sit on the floor, and I say, "Okay, what are y'all going to have for Thanksgiving dinner?" And let's talk about the different foods, and of course, yeah, we're going to have a turkey. I said, fine, um, and it's going to be cooked in an English style. It's not a goose like they would have had in England or France, but it's, it's going to be cooked that way. And what else are you going to have? Oh, we're going to have sweet potatoes. African. Okay, and uh, we're going to have turnip greens. Well, the greens may be a European vegetable, but they're cooked at African. West African mm-hmm. style mm-hmm. with a piece of meat. And we just we just go down mm-hmm. the list. Cornbread. Well, guess who introduced cornbread? The Native Americans. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, and all of a sudden they got it. They began to go, well, where did this come from? And, you know, and it's, that's an easy thing, just, mm-hmm. just the food ways. But the way we talk, the late George Rogers described the famed Charleston accent as high gala. Mm-hmm. Didn't many, many of his, some friends from South Abroad, his white friends, mm-hmm. but he said, that it wasn't Sheratonian English; it was Hagala. So, and I see Ron, you're smiling over there. Well, I, you know, I, this is all part of my education, and I love this history and, I, and and how you've wrapped it all together. I learn something new every day. I mean, just what you're talking about with the food is fascinating. Um, but you know, it's a learning experience. And, and I will tell you, one of the things I've I've wanted to to mention is that when we've screened this program. So many people come up afterwards and say, thank you for telling our story. Thank you for teaching us what they never taught us in school. And I'm blown away by that. As, as rich and fascinating as all this is, as you said, a lot of people used to be embarrassed by the association, and now it's become 
a source of pride. People want to be associated with Gullah. Oh, yeah, because see, we, because you know, my age group and older, I mean, if somebody called you Gullah Geechee, you know, during my childhood, that was fighting words. And I can remember when I went away to college to DC, and, um, you know, I refused to let go of my accents. And people would ask me, Are you from the islands? And I would get excited because I'm thinking, you know, I grew up on Ladies Island in Beaufort, so I'm getting excited. Say, yeah. And they said, What island? St. Croix, St. Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, then that Gullah Geechee would really come out because, you know, I'd be. <laughs> and after a while, it got to be to the point, don't get that Geechee from South Carolina upset because she liable to cut and you don't even know what she said. <laughs> but I, you know, unlike a lot of my friends who left here, tried so hard to camouflage the accent. I didn't want to do that. I wanted people to know I was from South Carolina and I was from Buford and I was a Gullah Geechee gal and proud of it. Well, sadly, there are a lot of white South Carolinians and white Southerners, if they move up north, they want to try to, they take classes to get rid of their accent. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It, particularly, if you're in the, and particularly if you're in the broadcasting field, you know, you got to have that Midwestern. That's Ron's voice. <laughs> my, my kids laugh at me because I used to have a real thick New York accent. I'm taking my dog for a walk and stuff like that. And you went I, on Long Island? Yeah. No, well, I was nearby. But I moved to Texas when I was 12, and all the kids made fun of me because of my New York accent. So now I'm in Texas, and I'm listening to a spelling bee, and I, I don't understand what they're saying. I, had a, I didn't learn. I had a paper route, and the dispatcher one day says, well, Ron, if it ever rains, we'll leave your papers at the shale. The shale? Dad, what does he mean by that? Like a shale rooftop? He meant the shell gas station. I had no idea. The shale. I knew what he was saying. Did you really? Yes, I did. Yeah. Wow. See, it took me a, a week to figure it out. <laughs> Folks, we've got to pause for a moment and let our listeners know that this is Walter Edgar's Journal, and I'm talking to Anita Singleton Prather and Ron Small about Circle Unbroken, a Gullah journey from Africa to America. Anita, we were talking about the opening to Circle Unbroken. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just go into character okay. and introduce it? And I think that's, yes. that will give the folks the flavor of what we're trying to get. Hey, y'all. My name is Anita singleton Prather, and I'm a Gullah gal. And you ask what Gullah might be? Well, let me tell you. It is the taproot of African-American history. African-American history, South Carolina history. American history, world history. Without Gullah, you ain't got none of them histories. And that's right. And that's right. You you missed, a, a, if I may say, a few you important may, things. Sure There's Gullah say. in language, food, music, religion. See, I remember this stuff. Yeah, he, Apparently, I think it's more important than Anita does, but that's all. <laughs> <laughs> and this evolved into a show that's now being broadcast mm-hmm. on PBS. PBS, and I'm, yeah. I'm proud to say we have an international distributor a distributor as well out of uh, Toronto, so this is going to be a global show. People will know what happened here in South Carolina. And, and can I say this? One of the things I want our listeners to understand, too, that Gullah doesn't just belong to the black community or the African-American community in South Carolina, but it truly belongs to the world. It's multiculturalism 101. It's the blending of all of those cultures that came together during that transatlantic slave trade. The, the many African, West African uh, countries with their traditions and foodways, music, arts, and all the other things. Uh, and those persons that came here involuntarily mm-hmm. to work the great plantations. And those uh, different traditions blended with that of the Europeans that came from many different European countries. Mm-hmm blended with their traditions and food ways. And we cannot forget the Native Americans that were here. And so it's the blending of all of those cultures that came together during that horrible time in our history is what gave birth to this thing called Gullah. So it makes us all Gullah kin folks. So how's your Gullah cousin? Where's it, where's it you like it or not? I'm just in the family. You, you just quoted from the introduction to my South Carolina history, because we're talking about at least 24 identifiable West African Mm -hmm. ethnicities or peoples. Mm -hmm. We're talking over 40 different Native American tribes, Mm -hmm. eight or nine European ethnicities, and even those were sort of had subsets, like you might be English, but if you had been English from the islands or English from New England or England from 
English from the home country, you brought a little bit of different something mm -hmm. to that. So South Carolina was multicultural before the term even came into mm -hmm. existence. Mm -hmm. Much more multicultural than your native New York or Pennsylvania, which usually the, the history textbooks talk about. And that can be documented. I won't go into that now, but it's read chapter three of South Carolina history. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. buying it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, and so, people need to know that whether you look like me with uh, brown skin or look like you, Walter, you know, it, it, you know, blue eyes, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's all a part of our history, and so our kids need to know that. You know, if it was just African history then it would be no need for the term Gullah. Actually, and this show, I think, ties Civil War history with Gullah history pretty well. I learned some things about Charleston that I was blown away by. Such, such as? Well, it, uh, that the origins of Memorial Day could be stated as having started at Hampton Park. I, I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> Who hasn't walked around Hampton Park? Did you know there was a prisoner of war camp where hundreds of people died and were buried in a mass grave? I didn't know that. And, and they found them when they were expanding the Citadel football field. Isn't that, I mean, it's amazing. And, and not far from my house, I take my kids to Fort Johnson back there by the DNR, and we stand on the spot where we took you, Anita, to do that one scene where the first shot was fired of the Civil War. And I have to tell them, do you realize where you're standing? I mean, I get chills thinking about it, and I never get tired of going there. But to know all these things that happen uh, at the site of Gadsden's Wharf, where the Maritime Center is, where the new museum is going. I, I mean, you, you can't help but be awestruck by how this affected literally the entire planet. And I'm standing in that very spot where it happened. If you are a person of color in the United States who has a heritage here, the odds are that somewhere in your family tree is going to be somebody who has been through South Carolina. South Carolina. We quote 75%. Because if you yeah. look at the numbers, any African-American person in America, 75% of them could legitimately say, my ancestors came through South Carolina. And it's something that most people don't know. And what is interesting is even in the days of Jim Crow, South Carolinians in exile, as they prefer to themselves, right. particularly in Washington, D.C., were always proud to say they were South Carolinians. Mm -hmm. They were putting themselves above above persons of color who came from someplace else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's... that was That's the truth. That's mm -hmm. the truth. Mm -hmm. In fact, even now, they have the South Carolina Club mm -hmm. up in the D.C. area. Mm -hmm. So the title, Circle Unbroken, which one of you wants to tackle that? That's, that's yours. You came yeah, up with um, that. <clears throat> because we've come full circle. We started out in Africa, uh, like I said, the Middle Passage voyage, um, the fields, the Civil War, Reconstruction, Jim Crow era, Civil Rights era, you know, right up to now we've come full circle because our first lady of the United States, her roots are from South Carolina. Georgetown County. Georgetown County. And our president, his roots Africa. So it's full circle. So we've come full circle. Well, I just wonder if part of it might not have been because any number of West African religions, mm -hmm. the circle is, right. An, right. is an important, not just the circle as a geometric, but right. the circle Love of life. life. Mm-hmm. I'm also mm -hmm. I'm proud to say I have to make mention of this. You know, we, we take this all very seriously, and, and this is going to be work for many years. So we've actually trademarked the title uh, legitimately through you know our trademark attorneys. But more importantly, you're sitting next to the First Lady of Gullah, and she is trademarked as the First Lady of Gullah, Nita singleton Prather, <laughs> right here in the studio. <laughs> you seem overwhelmed, like you didn't know. <laughs> Well, let, let's describe some of what's in the program. We don't want to give the whole thing away. In many ways, what, what you deal with historically is how Gullah culture and African traditions survived, particularly in the 18th and 19th century under slavery. And you do that through song and dance. Mm -hmm. Well, and I have to say, we started, uh, in, in essence, in Africa. And a lot of people watch the show. Oh, did you really go to Africa? We found a place near Hunting Island or at Hunting Island. 
Clark and I had seen it years, and then you and I had been out there, and we said, no, no, Clark, you keep talking about Clark, Clark. Santee, the director of the show. He actually directed this as well. Okay. Uh, he had just celebrated his 50th year in television. He's 75 years old and directed Circle Unbroken, but he's he might as well be 35 years old. Um, so years ago, he and I were driving around the Sea Island somewhere, and we passed Hunting Island and thought, oh, boy, look at that with how the trees come up out of the sand. That would be a perfect location for Africa. And... Almost 20 years later, we were back shooting the opening scene, and we had uh, authentic uh, props. We found some folks in Beaufort that had an incredible collection of authentic mm-hmm. props, uh, even slavery items, uh, mm-hmm. chains and collars. I mean, just so we, we really stuck with the authenticity. But I think you say it best. We go through a timeline in the program. We start in Africa and then wind up in modern day. And then a lot of this is done in historically significant parts of Beaufort and the Sea Islands. So there's a story even beyond the story. It's not just, hey, here's a nice place, let's put, let's put them there. But uh, the music has something to do with the location as well. And one of the things I want to say about this project is how people came out and, you know, people behind the scenes. You know, we had Suzanne Larson and Miss Louise Trask and so many other folks that just came and, you know, just... Was hundreds Embra- of people, you know, embraced hundreds. and whatever they could add to it or help. I mean, just it was truly a community effort. It is it, the timing was was I think God. I, well, I know the timing was God ordained, and because doors were just open to us, you know, just like Ron was saying, you know, um, getting the artifacts. I mean, it was like we would mention something, and then somebody else would say, "Well, I know somebody." And, well, I'll get in contact with the person. Next thing you know, this gentleman was bringing out all of this, these artifacts. I mean, we ended up with horses, real horses. <laughs> well, one of the things, too, the, yeah. the archival imagery, imagery is, I think it's spectacular. That's my favorite part. I mean, I'm a producer, but I love history, and I love finding these mm-hmm. things. Penn Center provided us a treasure trove, mm-hmm. but we also went through the National Archives and found things I had never seen before. And in one case, it was a total fluke. We recreate a slave auction in a building at Penn Center and found an archival image of an enslaved boy sitting on a mule cart, I guess it was, from 1860-something, let's say. And there's the same building in the background. Mm-hmm. We're still standing back. I mean, accidental. But, I mean, very moving, as, as it turns out. You know, we spent a lot of hours in the edit suite tweaking and playing with this thing till it was just right. And I guess one of, the, one of the special things for me was my grandkids played parts in it. <laughs> it was funny. My, uh, we were doing the uh, Underground Railroad scene with Harry Tubman. And um, my youngest, because I had four grands that was in it, and... Jeremy, we called him JJ, was right at six. And so we were shooting the scene, and he and his sister, who's, who was five at the time, Jakai, they looked like twins, they were smiling. So you heard um, Clark said, cut, cut, cut. Uh, the kids are smiling. <laughs> so, so my older grand boy, Sadiq, who's real serious, you know, he was 10 at the time. So he decides he's going to take J.J. to the side and tell J.J., now, J.J., you have to imagine, you know, hound dogs coming behind you to bite you. Would you be smiling? You know, so he gives them this whole spiel because they've been performing with me since out of the womb, mm. you know, on stage. So they've heard the stories, and, and especially Sadiq, he's real fascinated with it. And so he, so he had convinced J.J. to the point that J.J. actually got scared and he was holding on to me. So the tears that they see, see in the movies, they are not fake. They are real tears. He would not let me go. It was nighttime, too. It was, it was nighttime. He said, Grandma, I just don't want no dogs to come get me. And I don't want no dogs. So Dick said the dogs are going to bite me. But this gives me a legacy that I can leave my grandchildren and that they know who they are, the important part that they played in history. Mm-hmm. You know, all the accolades and, you know, the titles of first, you know, first lady of Gull and all that, you know, that's wonderful. But for me as a grandparent to be able to leave this legacy for my grandchildren is just uh, priceless for me. And you talk about the fact that it was became something of a community project mm-hmm. in, in Beaufort. I've done a lot of work with USC Beaufort and the folks in Beaufort over time, and Beaufort, of course, is, is changing. It's, it's developing. But there is 
a very interesting sense of, of community and politics. Yeah, you know, because Billy, you know, Billy Kaisling and, and, you know, his mother, Harriet, before she mm-hmm. died, and Dr. Kaisling and Paul, mm-hmm. you know, they've, they've been Billy really, was really I supporters, mean, really yeah. big supporters of the Gullah culture. Because even when I was with the other group, it was, you know, Harriet who came and said, you know, when we did the first production, which was supposed to be a one-time production that was supposed to raise some money for a uh, youth center, you know, eth- uh, cultural arts center for, for African-American youth. And and we were going to just do this one program for Black History Month that year um, back in 2000. I think it was, was it 2000? No, 1990. And, um, and that was going to be it. But now here I am, what, this is almost 20-something years plus later, you know, and it's still going strong because she was one of the ones that approached my partner at the time, business partner at the time. Could we do something else that would showcase the Gullah culture? So a lot of times other people see the value in this culture before we as African-Americans embrace it. And now it's becoming, for, for the young people, the young people are embracing it. But people my age and older, you have to go back and unteach the negative impressions of what Gullah was and Geechee was. You know, you don't want to talk that bad talk. People don't think you're ignorant, all that kind of crazy foolishness. But for people to create a language within a language, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people don't realize that the Africans came here multilingual, Mm -hmm. even before, you know, uh, know, arriving and meeting Europeans because they were, they, they had been, um, trading with Mediterranean countries. They had been trading with Arab countries. So even once they got in the belly of the ship, you had several different ag- African languages that was present. So they had to develop a way to communicate with one another, even though they didn't, even though they may have looked, looked the same, they didn't necessarily mean that they trusted each other. And then once they got on the plantation, they had to figure out a language that they could communicate with the different European uh, masters. So, so you know, you have people that are very intelligent. One of the ironies is that as the plantation culture developed at larger plantations, the working unit was usually 30, but sometimes they were, they were larger. The idea was that the Europeans would deliberately purchase individuals that they knew were from a different culture mm-hmm. so that they figured that if they couldn't communicate, they couldn't cause problems. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the ironies of the history is that white South Carolinians, as as compared to white Virginians who just referred to Africans as one group, Mm -hmm. South Carolinians, you go back and read the letters, they knew what, they could describe somebody from Sierra Leone, Mm -hmm. from Gambia, uh, from Angola, from uh, Guinea-Bissau, and white folks didn't pay any attention to Gullah, and it became a form of resistance. Mm-hmm. Although later on, some white folks did learn mm-hmm. to speak Gullah, or at least to, to understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people try to uh, make it monolithic, mm-hmm. and and it was just so many different facets mm-hmm. to Gullah. Mm-hmm. The amazing thing is that it has survived. Mm-hmm. It survived, and it has morphed on your word, because if you go back and look at some of the earliest writings, and of course it's strictly a verbal language, although people have been writing it down, how they wrote it down in the late 19th century, and some of the early recordings in the Library of Congress, you really have to translate it, and it's not quite as unintelligible to outsiders today as it, as it once was. But as I used to tell my students, if you want to really hear Gullah, go to the market in Charleston, but don't talk to the women making the baskets. Yes, Stand yes, back and listen yes, to them talk amongst themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was so funny when I was in college. I went, I went to Howard, and um, I can remember going there, and I had friends that were from Lagos, Nigeria. And then my... Uh, the guy that lived across from me in the dormitory, he was from Trinidad. And so I would start talking to them. I could understand them, mm-hmm. and they could understand me. And then I had a girlfriend from Virginia, and she'd be saying, what in the world are y'all saying? And my friend from Lagos would say, shut up, it's none of your business. <laughs> you, know, you walk around with your nose up in your air. If it rains, you're drunk to that. And we'd go right back, da 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 Because I could, you know, 
because mm-hmm. of the gullah. Mm-hmm. It was so it sounds so similar, yeah. and so um, you know I, I thank I thank God because my parents did not. Even though my mother was a school teacher, and that was you know the norm was you know school teachers children not supposed to speak Gullah, you know you're not supposed to talk like that, you're not supposed to play with other people's kids. But my mother didn't play that. We played with everybody in the neighborhood, and um, my like my dad's people are from Colleton County, around um, Cherokee Plantation, and I mean you go there now, you almost have to have an interpreter, you know. And we would go to the country, and I would have my aunts and those talk and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I'm so grateful that they didn't allow us to be ashamed of it. And because of that, I'm able to do what I do now. And you do it so beautifully. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what's next? What's next, Ron? That's a good question. Well, you know, uh, because it's a shameless plug, we built a website that is all things Gullah at Gullah.tv. And... You have information on sweetgrass baskets. We have Gullah spotlights on members of the community like Victoria Smalls and uh, Pizanta Byers and Vera Matigalt, uh, the wonderful sweetgrass basket maker and seventh generation, I might add. And it's a, it's a great destination to learn about Gullah history. And when we created it, it was designed that everyone could play in the same sandbox. And it's an ever-growing Piece. We're always building, we're always adding new content because we want the message to do that. And, you know, you ask what's next. At some point, it'll hit us. I think I said earlier, uh, we're looking for that next project, that next Gullah-related project, which may very well be going to Africa and visiting Bunce Island and mm-hmm. somehow making the journey back and tying it into the whole story. Because the more I learn, the more fascinated I get. I mean, I've been doing this almost 20 years, and, and I don't know a fraction mm-hmm. of the history. And I want people to know that um, Gullah didn't end at the end of the Civil War. It didn't end at Reconstruction. So when people come to Buford or come to Charleston, they say, where the Gullah people at? Take a look in the mirror. Start with you. Because we all have a piece of it. And we just got to continue to tell the story. And every part of the story is important. You know, you have to tell your portion Mm -hmm. because... You know, white Southerners played a big part in the Gullah culture. So that piece has to be told uh, from the Jewish community. You know, that has to be told. Uh, African-Americans and Native Americans, all of those pieces are part of the puzzle. And even though we call it Gullah culture, it's really world history. What I discovered personally is like, what a pocket of amazing talent that I found in this area. And from my standpoint, it's like you know, I've met people all over the world who think they're something Here's a group of very humble. You always say, humble is the way. Humble is the way. And the I used to think I had talent until I met Anita and the kinfolk. I, I pale by comparison, and I recognize that. And part of our mission, I guess, is to make sure the world gets to see what has come out of this incredible community in South Carolina. I hate to say this, Alfred. My producer is giving me the wind-up sign, so... Any last words for our... Uh, listen, this has been a, a joy and a pleasure to be able to uh, put the message out there. It, we just hope everybody will love this project as much as we have, and thank you for this opportunity. All right. And, and by the way, your website will be linked to our website. So. Fabulous. And vice versa. Okay. Yeah. And Anita? Uh, tell the children the stories. They got to hear it, even when they don't want to hear it, because a lot of stuff that my grandmother told me and my mother and father told me, and I just, you know how you just roll your eyes behind their backs, of course. You can see that, though. <laughs> I am so glad that they told it anyway, okay. and um, the kids need to hear the story. And and they can visit, uh, you know, knowitall.org backslash gullanet, and that's also linked to our uh, website with gullah.tv, and it's an animated website to introduce kids to the Gullah culture okay. and that this culture belongs to us all, not just black folks or African people, but it belongs to the world. So we're all Gullah kinfolk, whether we want to be or not. All right. Well... Thank you both, Anita Singleton Prather and Ron Small, for being with us today on Walter Edgar's Journal.
This is Walter Edgar, and I hope you enjoyed today's journal. I know that I did. I've known Anita Singleton Prather for a long time as Aunt Pearlie Sue, and she appeared on the journal in one of our early broadcasts probably about 12 or 13 years ago. But the story of this production and the story of Gullah culture, as both she and Ron Small pointed out, it's not just Gullah history or African-American history. It's South Carolina history, it's American history, it's world history. It's all part of a bigger picture. They expressed that tradition and that cultural exchange, I think, beautifully. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina Public Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETB Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's Journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina Public Radio.